morning. Hello. Welcome. Good evening for anyone who's listening in from Australia and welcome back to As an Adult. I am so relieved. I was having literal nightmares that intro wouldn't work when it started playing. Oh, relief. But it um, did. Welcome to week five. How crazy. I know. It's going too quickly. Only because I have an essay due on Wednesday, but like it's too quickly mm-hmm. anyway. We're going to do this instead. Let's do an hour <laughs> of this. <laughs> let's forget about our academic burdens and let's talk about something we read when we were 14 instead of Shakespeare yeah. Lear, Richard, I don't know them I only know Hazel Grace and Augustus Waters the man so, that is our topic for today we're talking about The Fault in Our Stars and John Green uh, it's going to be interesting I think to say the least before we get started we do want to give a couple of trigger warnings um, of issues that are going to come up so things like cancer, illness um amputation the holocaust is going to be briefly mentioned so if those aren't your topics come back next week we've got lots of fun stuff um but yeah if that's not for you all cool right laura what's going on um before we talk about what's going on i'd also just like to let you all know that we are on tiktok and instagram and we are going to be moving to spotify soon as soon as i can manage some technological (laughs) things which i'm not very good at managing for anyone who knows me Um, but yes uh, how are we? We're good. We're getting on. Um, yeah, long weekend. We had a fun weekend though, setting up the socials. We spent a lot of time on Instagram. My screen time was quite high, but uh, it felt like I'm doing it for like business, so it's fine. But like, really, business is just like talking to my friends on a different Instagram account. Um, Literally, I'm like, yeah. it's a productive hobby. Haven't produced anything exactly. until right now, but I mean, you got to do it because otherwise. You go a bit stir crazy. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, Laura, what are you reading at the moment? I'm ashamed to answer this question because I've been reading the same book <laughs> since August, but it's still Midnight Sun. I have, oh, I have read books since I started it, but I had to take a break because it got too depressing. But now I'm like back <laughs> in that like melancholic mood. So I'm reading it again. So, um, yeah. What are you reading? <laughs> First of all, I've said it to, be, to you before and I'll say it again. Get the audiobook. I gave you the audiobook for free. I got it for free from an Instagram account. So why aren't you listening to it? I don't know. I don't think I like the idea of him being given an actual voice. Like, Ed means <laughs> so much to me. I just want to, like, keep him in my head. I don't want to hear someone else, like, speaking for him. It makes it just too real. As if, like, Robert Pattinson speaking for him was, like... That's Robert Pattinson. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Don't you dare respect, disrespect Robert Pattinson on this show again. <laughs> you can leave. <laughs> Um, at the moment I'm reading Anna Kay which is kind of embarrassing as well because it's actually like a takeoff of Anna Karenina and it's like a modernized like kind of like crazy rich Asians vibes Mm. Um, but I'm embarrassed about it because I haven't read Anna Karenina (laughs) so I'm like oh no like spoiler alert (laughs) that's gonna come in handy though in third year fourth year we're like we have to read Anna Karenina and they're like what did you think and you're like Anna was okay but I really I loved, like way more important. <laughs> I really loved her fashion. I thought it was fantastic. And like I really liked that it was set in New York. That's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna get kicked out of the tube. It's gonna be great. I really liked the the modern vibes. Okay. <laughs> um, so I wanna ask you, because I think everyone has like I honestly think everyone has their fault in our stars story. Oh, Everyone's definitely. got the where they were, what happened, like when did they start bowling everything? So I want to hear your story. Well, I, I, so I read everything on Kindles. 
And so I remember having my Kindle and reading The Fault in Our Stars and like having heard so much about it. And I was definitely kind of like skeptical, like especially at like 14, I wasn't one to be like, I mean, I think it was probably like 13 actually, but I wasn't one to follow trend. I was like, I I like my own books and everyone liked this book. So I was really skeptical, but um, it got me, it got me good. It got me really, really good. I cried so, so much. not so much that I missed the next day of school. That was just Allegiant <laughs> that did that to me. I'm so ashamed to say. <laughs> but I cried so much that, yeah, it was, I, I just remember staying up to like maybe midnight, 1 a.m., just crying. Are you honestly telling me that Allegiant impacted you more emotionally than The Fault in Our Stars? I think in the long run, The Fault in Our Stars was a lot more emotional. But Allegiant, like, I can't even, like, I can't explain it, but I had literally spent like a year of my life you know I read the Divergent books so early that I was waiting for Allegiant to come out for a year and I was like so 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 excited for it and then to get to the end of it in one night and for that it was just so overwhelming and like the fault in our stars you kind of know where it's going as much as it's kind of a, a bit of a twist you know that you know that you know what's going to happen you know what the the what it's dealing with I didn't know where oh, I was going with Allegiant <laughs> I didn't know. Okay, this segues beautifully into my like personal story of this, <laughs> not to make this about me or anything. But uh, also, we haven't given anyone a plot overview. Laura, do you want to quickly tell them what happened? Oh, yeah, sorry. So they're not like, <laughs> to why we're just crying. <laughs> so, The Fall in Our Stars uh, is about uh, Hazel Grace Lancaster. She has cancer and she goes to a support group for other teenagers who um, also have cancer, and she meets a young man there called Augustus Waters, who's accompanying his friend Isaac. He has um, survived his cancer, he's in remission, and, uh, or, or so we thought. And, um, and then, uh, all of, well, basically they fall in love, they start dating, all that sort of stuff. And uh, then, gosh, what happens? Oh yeah, Augustus takes her to Amsterdam to meet her favourite author, author, Peter Van Alden. He's a dick. And then they go to the Anne Frank house. We're going to come back to the Anne Frank house. We, there is so much to talk about. And then, um, yeah, they come back from Amsterdam, still in love. But then Augustus tells Hazel that his cancer has come back. And sadly, he dies at the end. And it's very, very, very sad. Like, the way it's written is like being hit by a train. Like, it was emotionally overwhelming. Genuinely devastating. Um, oh, so basically what happened to me, I have like a really bad habit of reading the last page of books. I haven't done it in a while, but I used to, like when I was really worried about like how the story was going to end, I would just flick through to the end and just like check the last line. And I wouldn't read the last page or anything, like literally just the last line. And then I'd like kind of relax and like go back to it. And like admittedly, like when I started rereading this like for this um, chat, I like started from the end and worked my way to the beginning because apparently old habits die hard. I actually don't get how you do. Do you know what the last line of the book is? Oh, it's something about Augustus being dead. I do do know that. No. The last line of the book is I do, Augustus, I do. You know what (laughs) 13-year-old Laura thought? Oh, my God, they get married. That's so sweet. They're gonna get married. They're gonna live happily ever after. They're both gonna be cancer free or something, and like it's just gonna be really lovely and really wholesome and really great. You can imagine my surprise <laughs> when the concern <laughs> dies. Oh my god! 
I cried. I cried for an entire day. My mum got home at like 4 p.m. and I'd been crying since 9 a.m. And mum genuinely thought that like someone had actually died. I was like, like, I've never seen my daughter cry so much. When I say like I was traumatized, mum was traumatized by me being traumatized. Like it was, (laughs) it was just continuous. Like honestly, John Green, so much to answer for. It's just hurtful. It's hurtful stuff. Anyway, I was thinking we could maybe like continue this trauma for our listeners yeah, by like a reading a bit of the trauma. Because you know what, you know, you guys are helping out, uh, helping us out so much by tuning in. Let's just like ruin your day. Yeah, because like nine a.m. on a Monday, exactly. a better time to do it. Ten a.m. Damn, every time. Sorry, guys. nine a.m. on a Monday. <laughs> it is such a funny like. Like side talk, but when we're planning it, we put like times that we have to play a song by. Which speaking of, I need to shut up. But Laura was like, uh, nine, I think, and I'm like, mm, we're going by by British time. So apologies to the Australians. <laughs> okay, read. So rude. Just ostracizing us. Okay, I'm reading. Oh, actually, first I'm giving you a little bit of clarity. Uh, clarity context. Um, so this is when Augustus Waters isn't like, he hasn't died yet, but he has cancer and he knows he's like about to die. So they like stage, like not a fake funeral, but like a funeral where he gets to go to his own funeral, which is like kind of weird, but anyway, and this is his best friend when he starts like eulogizing Augustus, his best friend, Isaac. Um, Isaac cleared his throat. Augustus Waters was a self-aggrandizing bastard, but we forgive him. We forgive him not because he had a heart as figuratively good as his literal one sucked, but because he knew more about how to hold a cigarette than any non-smoker in history, or because he got 18 years when he should have gotten more. 17, Gus corrected. I'm assuming you've got some time, you interrupting bastard. I'm telling you, Isaac continued. Augustus Waters talked so much that he'd interrupt you at his own funeral. funeral. And he was pretentious. Sweet Jesus Christ, that kid never took a piss without pondering the abundant metaphorical resonances of human waste production. And he was vain. I do not believe I've ever met a more physically attractive person who was more acutely aware of his own physical attractiveness. I will say this. When the scientists of the future show up at my house with robot eyes and they tell me to try them on, they will tell the scientists to screw off because I do not want to see a world without him. I was kind of crying by then. And then we have Hazel Grace's eulogy. My name is Hazel. Augustus Waters was the great star-crossed love of my life. Ours was an epic love story. And I won't be able to get more than a sentence into it without disappearing into a puddle of tears. Gus knew. Gus knows. I will not tell you our love story because, like all real love stories, it will die with us, as it should. I'd hoped that he'd be eulogizing me because there's no one I'd rather have. I started crying. Okay, how not to cry? How am I? Okay, okay. I took a few breaths and went back to the page. I can't talk about our love story, so I'll talk about math. I'm not a mathematician, but I know this. There are infinite numbers between 0 and 1. There's 0.1 and 0.12 and 0.112 and an infinite collection of others. And of course, there is a bigger infinite set of numbers between zero and two, or between zero and a million. Some infinities are bigger than other infinities. A writer we used to like taught us that. There are days, many of them, 
when I resent the size of my unbounded set. I want more numbers than I'm likely to get. And God, I want more numbers for Augustus Waters than he got. But Gus, my love, I cannot tell you how thankful I am for our little infinity. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You gave me a forever within the numbered days and I'm grateful. Um, I think that section probably contains some of the most Tumblrized lines. Oh, completely. But um, the, reason, the reason why this book was the ultimate like book of Tumblr is because it does the Tumblr thing, but it does it the best. Like the whole, some infinities are bigger than other infinities. Like it's, you know, kind of cheesy and cliched, but it also like makes sense and it still kind of hits you. And that's so, it's such a nuance. Like it's, it's impressive to do that, I think. Totally. I also think like John Green had a really like good capacity for that nuance. Like mm-hmm. he had this way of being able to like, you know, like Isaac calls him a self-aggrandizing bastard and then he transitions straight into like, I don't want to exist without him. Mm-hmm. Which like, I mean, maybe it's dramatic, maybe it's not, but he had such a way of like balancing them um, in a way yeah. that you kind of weren't like, I mean, every now and again you're like, yeah, no one's ever actually going to say that. Like no one's going to quote poetry to me. But oh, um, <laughs> which I mean, shockingly, I found that one out. And like, Jesus, that hit. <laughs> oh my goodness um but yeah I think it's just like I think he just has such a good way of like writing speech but then also writing like romanticized speech Mm -hmm. I don't know he just pulls everyone it's amazing I think as well he he knows who he's writing for like he's not writing these bits you know these kind of romantic cheesy cliched things for the great literature students that we are to criticize you know he knows that he's writing for for teenagers and that they'll eat that up and that that's they like that and that's fine like it doesn't have to all be for you know us yeah. <laughs> I feel kind of bad like I, maybe we should send like John Green a letter and be like by the way I know this wasn't the plan but we have just oh, like dissected your entire novel as we, we did it English anyway undergrads. <laughs> I also want to draw attention. We have a little group chat that's that's kind of you know notifying notifying in at the side. Um, Isaac, they're they're not happy with the Isaac. Isaac. Oh, are you about to tell me it's Isaac? It is. It's Isaac. <laughs> Can we not get through a single show without my pronunciation being corrected on something. <laughs> the thing is, I noticed it when we there talked about I, it. But I was and then there's Zach. Hi, Zach. Where are you getting Isaac? Isaac would be spelled. Isaac. It's not spelt with a Z. Exactly. Isaac would be spelt I Z E K. Isaac is I S A A C. Spell Zach. I'll admit I was wrong with the podium <laughs> thing, but I'm right. I'm the Isaac. You're not. Yeah, I, I think it's an Australian pronunciation. I'm not saying this is a U one. But no, it, this is not how I would pronounce it. It's not how it's like, not how our, our British viewers would pronounce it. Oh, and the British view, the British view. <laughs> God, not appreciating that one. Anyways, moving on from my inability to pronounce names, I'm assuming um, I'm assuming that was Ryan who said that one. So thank you. Um, shall we move on to? Another, like, fun little traumatising bit of um, Augustus Waters' eulogy for Hazel Grace, oh. like, post, post-mortem, post-human, post-human. 
what's the word for that? Post-human? <laughs> what's it called when you like write it? Like when it's like, like post- when something's like published post like post oh, life. It's post- like post-humorous. Post-humorous. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not gonna lie to you, I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna be not post-human. <laughs> <laughs> okay, read, read, read. We're gonna run out of time. Um, so Augustus Waters wrote this in a letter for Hazel Grace, but it was written to the author that they both loved. Van Houten. I'm a good person, but a shitty writer. You're a shitty person, but a good writer. You'd make a good team. I don't want to ask you any favours, but if you have time, and from what I saw, you have plenty, I was wondering if you could write a eulogy for Hazel. I've got notes and everything, but if you could just make it into a coherent whole or whatever, or even just tell me what I should say differently. Here's the thing about Hazel. Almost everyone is obsessed with leaving a mark upon the world, bequeathing a legacy, outlasting death. We all want to be remembered. I do too. That's what bothers me most, is being another unremembered casualty in the ancient and inglorious war against disease. I want to leave a mark. At Van Houten, the marks humans leave are too often scars. You build a hideous mini-mall or start a coup or try to become a rock star and you think, they'll remember me now. A, they don't remember you, and B, all you leave behind are more scars. Your coup becomes a dictatorship, a mini-mall becomes a lesion. Okay, maybe I'm not such a shitty writer, but I can't pull my ideas together, Van Houten. My thoughts are stars I can't fathom into constellations. You're like a bunch of dogs squirting on fire hydrants. We poison the groundwater with our toxic piss, marking everything mine in a ridiculous attempt to survive our debts. I can't stop pissing on fire hydrants. I know it's silly and useless, epically epically useless in my current state, but I am an animal like any other. Hazel is different. She walks lightly, old man. She walks lightly upon the earth. Hazel knows the truth. We're as likely to hurt the universe as we are to help it, and we're not likely to do either. People will say it's sad that she leaves a lesser scar, that few remember her, that she was loved deeply but not widely. But it's not sad, Van Houten. It's triumphant. It's heroic. Isn't that the real heroism? Like the doctors say, first, do no harm. Real heroes anyway aren't the people doing things. The real heroes are the people noticing things, paying attention. The guy who invented the smallpox vaccine didn't actually invent anything. He just noticed that people with cowpox didn't get smallpox. After my PET scan lit up, I snuck into the ICU and saw her while she was unconscious. I just walked in behind a nurse with a badge and I got to sit next to her for like 10 minutes before I got caught. I really thought she was going to die before I could tell her that I was going to die too. It was brutal. The incessant, mechanised haranguing of intensive care. She had this dark cancer water dripping out of her chest, eyes closed, intubated. But her hand was still her hand, still warm and the nails painted, this almost black dark blue. I just held her hand and tried to imagine the world without us. And for about one second, I was good enough, a good enough person to hope she died so she would never know that I was going to. Then I wanted more time so we could fall in love. I got my wish, I suppose. I left my scar. A nurse came in and told me I had to leave, that visitors weren't allowed, and I asked if she was doing okay. And the guy said, she's still taking on water. A desert blessing, an ocean curse. What else? She is so beautiful. You don't get tired of looking at her. You never worry if she's smarter than you. You know she is. She's funny without ever being mean. I love her. I am so lucky to love her, Van Houten. 
You don't get to choose if you get hurt in this world, old man. But you do have some say in who hurts you. I like my choices. I hope she likes hers. I do, Augustus. I do. Oh, that's so sad. And everybody died. I like the, oh, I, the second part. Beautiful. But I like that he starts off and he's like, I'm no writer. And then goes, actually, I am a writer. <laughs> Screw it. Like, good for you. Back yourself. <laughs> I just, I also think like there's something so clever that John Green has done in like having the funeral with, like having the like first eulogies with Augustus there makes it that much more heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And then having him have a letter for Hazel after it's all done, like, I don't know, he just like had a, just like, you think like it's the final punch and then he's just got another one to come. It was just like, oh, it just got Clubby. me. It's clever. Although, like, we do have to pick out a few of those like lines. Like, Christ, some of them are just a bit far, right? That was one that I read. Oh, the my thoughts are stars. I can't fathom into constellations. That one, see, that annoys me because, like, I just said that he does the tumblery thing but makes it work. That one doesn't work. That was just put in there. He had that idea and he went, where else can I put it? And, like, yeah. it's annoying. It's, it's not a good image. I'm sorry. It's not that good. And I also I just don't fathom. like when you've got to, like, yeah, and you've got it's to, like, a... shoehorn it in. Yeah, it's forced. And that's such a beautiful bit as well. You didn't need that. Sometimes you just went too far. Exactly. And there's that bit when he, like, talks about the hospital and I'm just like, do you want any more adjectives? <laughs> um, incessant mechanised haranguing. <laughs> <laughs> we have segued into friends. And um, there we go. We've arrived. It <laughs> <laughs> was bound to happen one day or another. It just happened now. Uh, I think it just makes it so much sadder when you hear how much he loves her and you don't mm. get Augustus perspective. Augustus's perspective the whole way through and then those final three pages are all him and it just like saturates like your pain really I think as well like I like that it doesn't feel forced I like that when he's telling him how much he loves her it's not like I've loved her forever like you know they knew each other for a few months but obviously they were kind of the most I don't know like deep months of their lives and it it makes sense that they would fall in love that fast and that deeply but it's not too much it's not it doesn't go too far I think yeah I completely agree and I think it also plays into that like thing which I find to be like completely true is that like trauma bonds Mm, definitely both of them they're both going through something that like very few other people understand like I mean they have their support group but like no one like no one outside that support group like even like Hazel Grace's parents and Augustus Water's parents mm-hmm. don't really understand what it is to like know that you are going to die and it's going to be soon and you're going to get less time than everyone else and so like you completely see that relationship develop and like I don't want to say that they're in love only because they're both dying but like there is an aspect of that that seems to deepen and like intensify that love um, I think as well when you have so little time and you know, I mean, this is kind of a pessimistic way to look at it, but you know you're not really going to meet someone else to fall in love with. You find a way to fall in love with them. And, like, you kind of go out of your way to fall in love with that person. And it's nice that they actually do fall in love with each other. I don't know. I think yeah. that's cute. Yeah, I get what you mean. Okay. I think. Yeah, it's I mean, I song. thought it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think it's beautiful. Um, okay. Our first song. This is All I Want. Enjoy. Oh, so good. Oh 
Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. We had a lovely time. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's just so beautiful. And like Caroline just knows how to like rip your heart out, honestly. Oh, genuinely. It was it, it was, was just a perfect pick for the movie soundtrack as well. Like I forgot it was in the soundtrack until you suggested it. And I was like, oh, what? Like I, I forgot. Like in my mind, it was just not about angels and t-shirt. And that was it. But it's such it's such a good soundtrack. Highly recommend, especially if you're looking for a good cry. Very, very good. Oh, <laughs> it's really productive for like a power cry. Like if you're just like, right, I have 10 minutes and I just need to ball and then I've got to get I back to in half an hour. Come on, let's just, <laughs> let's just get one out. It's fine. <laughs> okay, we're going we're gonna to move on to our favorite segment. Is she not like other girls? Is Ooh. she? I don't know. This is a difficult, this is a difficult one. I struggle with this one because situationally she's already not like exactly. other girls without trying mm -hmm. like she's not like she's not like a clary or like um a tris. another one i'll wait i'll wait oh sweet jesus <laughs> she's, she's not, not like a clary she's not like tris ew ew gross yeah, i agree i agree i think i feel like john green really wants her to not be like other girls i have issues with how john green writes girls but you know we'll get there but I don't think that really comes through in Hazel Grace. I feel like because she's in such an extreme situation, it makes sense that she's not like other girls, but it's not even that she's not like other girls. She's just not like other people. And it, it's, you know, how could she be? How could she be like other people when she's going through so much? And it's, you know, it's not like she's kind of ordinary that has a superiority complex. Like if she wants a superiority, superiority complex, she can have one. That's fine. <laughs> like, I feel like you've deserved it. <laughs> exactly. And I think as well, like, it's interesting with like, I find when you look at like the ways, way girls are written by authors, if you then look at their counterpart and like Augustus Waters is also not like other guys. So oh, I think yeah. it is not so much like a, I don't think as much as like John Green always seems to try to make them not like other girls. I think this one, it came a lot easier for him mm -hmm. and therefore it's probably a little bit like less problematic. Like, I think he, I said this yeah. to you before, but I don't think he knows how to write girls from a male perspective. But I think when he's in a female voice, he's not trying as hard and he's not trying to think about how they're viewed. He's trying to think about how they think and it works a lot better. Whereas when you look at Alaska and Margot from Looking for Alaska and Paper Towns, they're completely not like other girls because he doesn't know how to write them from a male perspective because I feel like how he views women maybe isn't the best. I don't know. That's it's what I was going to say. Is there some internalized, well, not internalized, can't be internalized, he's a guy. Um, is there some like level of misogyny there that is because once he becomes the voice of a girl, like he's not going to like be sexist to his own like character's voice, but he's happy to be like sexist toward other characters in the book from a different, from a male voice? I definitely think there's a bit of that. I think when I think he likes making jokes at women's expense and maybe not the protagonist women but at women in general but when he is embodying the protagonist I agree I think he doesn't want to I think I think as an author he can be quite arrogant and I think that that's one of the things he doesn't like to do he doesn't like to make himself seem like at his voice seem something that could be joked at um yeah yeah no I completely agree with that and like part of me thinks like yeah fair enough be arrogant he's sold you know, have a million copies yeah. 
nearly all of his books. But at the same time, I completely agree. I think there's an aspect of that, that the only reason she is a protected girl is because, as in like protected from those tropes and all those stereotypes is because he is playing the girl in this. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I find it really interesting though, like what, like I don't know how old he is, I assume he's like 40 now, like must have been like 30 when he wrote it. Um, but like what 30-year-old guy thinks, hey, like you know what voice I want to ride in, teenage girl? Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't is it write because... a book from a guy's perspective. Like I just wouldn't know where to go with it or how to do it. I can get that. But that's what concerns me about him is that when he does it from a guy's perspective, it's so much more misogynistic. And it's like, is that how yeah. you think? And is that, or is that how you think other guys think? Yeah. Or is that the guys that you've interacted with, which is equally as problematic? Cause like if you're hanging around with like guys who think that way about women, then like, um, and like, let's just touch on that because I actually, Alaska from Looking for Alaska and Margot from Paper Towns are both completely like, manic pixie dream girls 100 percent to the sea um and there's always this aspect of like they're these gorgeous women not gorgeous you know they're alternative they're like a little bit like elusive they can't be pinned down and they've always got like a slightly ridiculous haircut um you know like they've always got like a cropped bob or like (laughs) both of them also aren't there for half the book which i feel like is relevant because i think he gets halfway through and goes i don't know where to go with this (laughs) i don't know what to do next exactly and it, and they always have like these like one-liners that just make zero sense mm-hmm. but like they're like they're meant to make zero sense because these girls are like intelligent on like another plane of being another level. like no guy could ever understand them so why would they try and exactly. there's always this one guy who's like willing to understand them you know to go the extra mile to follow the ridiculous paper towns route that doesn't even turn out to be real like she wasn't mm-hmm. even leaving trails um but yeah, I get a bit up, like not upset, but I get like frustrated with that concept that a girl to be like lovable always has to be outside the book. Yeah, I think as well. I so I really love what I thought I loved looking for Alaska growing up because I wanted to be unique and I didn't want to say the fall on our stars. But so I always just had this idea in my head that it was really good. And then my mum downloaded the TV series, like the Hulu the Hulu TV series, which just came out, and I was watching it and I was like, oh my god, this is off like so misogynistic and that all the guys are constantly making jokes at Alaska's expense and she's like that's misogynistic ha 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 and it's it's like if my male friends did that I would like it's not a joke it's not but to him it's kind of like something that's kind of funny to bring up and and she kind of bats it away and there's also this weird idea of her being kind of like sexually broken like that because she's kind of sexually liberated it's not actually freedom. It's just being broken on a different level because she hasn't had sex with the right guy or the nice guy. So therefore, like, as a person, she is kind of invalidated in a way. I, I don't love that. I don't love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's also, like, an aspect of, like, I was just thinking about that if you can't love a girl up close, like, mm-hmm. what does that say about, like, women? You know, like, that we're yeah. just, like, we're not lovable when we become real, which is, like, a really concerning, like, idea to like especially to push on like a 14 year old girl like um audience you always Um, have to keep up that character you always have to keep up that facade of being elusive and interesting or people aren't going to care about you exactly which is impossible to do because if you're keeping up a facade of being elusive and interesting you never make any like human connections with anyone and Mm. then they don't even love the real you so it's this ridiculous putting women on a pedestal 
and then not loving them when you bring them down from it, but intentionally trying to bring them down from from it. Exactly. Like that's oh. exactly it. Yeah, not a fan of that. Um, but yeah, so I would say Hazel Grace not uh, not like other girls, but like can't blame her for it. Yeah, Alaska and Margot. Like yeah, still likable. Um, she definitely, although there is that bit where she goes like to Augustus, like I'm a grenade, and explode. And I can't, I just, I'm trying to like limit like the debris that I cause. Which, Christ. I mean, the thing is, I get it though, because if I was 16 and in her position, absolutely I would be dramatic. Absolutely I would be saying those one liners because, you know, it, your brain isn't fully formed yet. Like you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna kind of fall into that trap. And I don't, I don't hate it. I think it's cheesy, but I don't hate it. Like if she was like 30, I'd be a bit like, okay, you know. It's really sad, but calm down. But I think what I didn't like about it, and this is a bit unfair of me, but I didn't like her like fatalism. Like I hated the fact that she like not only gave into the fact that she had like a terminal illness, which is so unfair of me to say, because like obviously I don't know what that's like. But I didn't like the fact that that she like like it's fine that she was like, Yeah, I have a terminal illness, I'm gonna die. But the thing I always struggled with was like, like Augustus Waters went like if I'm going to die, I'm going to live life right up until that moment. Whereas like yeah. Hazel Grace was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to like just not hurt anyone. I'm not going to connect with anyone. I'm not going to make memories. The only people I want to hurt is my mum and dad. And like in some way that's like a very like it's so selfless to do that. Mm. Um, it's a very like female thing to do, I feel. Like that's exactly. obviously generalisation, but I feel like it's such a woman thing to be like, my death I, I'm responsible for that and I have to like protect everyone else even yes. though it's your death and you're a child and you're dying whereas for I feel like men are a lot more like I don't know I, I actually don't hate that but I, I hate that it's how it's represented but I actually feel like there's an element of kind of like realism in a really sad and twisted way same and that that's why I didn't like it because as much as I knew that that was like such a realistic thing for a girl mm. to do I was like I hate the fact that we're making younger women think that this is yeah, that that's the right thing. Yes, yes, thank you. Like, you don't yeah, have to exactly. be a martyr. You're someone who deserves to live and deserves to be yeah. loved and, like, lost. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and you just never see Augustus seem to, like, grapple with that, mm-hmm. which I think is a really, really unfair, like, situation. Yeah. Um, which brings me to talking about John Green just as an author. Um, <laughs> scale of 1 to J.K. Rowling, what are our thoughts? I issues I, I i vaguely spoke to, to you about this before but so he uses the r word in paper towns which is a slur if you don't know against disabled people google's your friend we're not going to say it on air basically does he use it or does a character use it which, like I isn't character, i think better. margo uses it or i can't remember who uses it a character uses it actually i'm not 100 sure anyway either way it's used and he kind of half apologized for it, like on Twitter. So someone tweeted and was like, do you regret using it? And he was like, yes, at the time I valued um, like realism, but now I see that um, I, I wouldn't use it again was his point. And there was, he didn't say sorry. He didn't really apologize. And it just, it irks me because like on a, on a level, it's like what's well, done's done. Like, you know, if, if you said it, you said it. But you also can just do a lot to kind of, fix that mistake like you can educate he has such a big platform he could educate people about why that language is wrong 
he could you know actually fully apologize he could take it out of like reprints you know he could say let's swap that word out for another one I don't like it I don't want to use it anymore but it's kind of like he acknowledges that it's wrong and he knows it's wrong he kind of knew it was wrong at the time but he still did it anyway and like I don't know I feel like people think it's a minor thing but I don't think it is I feel like him using people like him using that word is why people think it's a minor thing and why people think it's like a non-issue when it is an issue and it's like you shouldn't we shouldn't be okay with it just because it's that slur and not another slur. I don't know. Totally. I have like, I mean, it's sort of relevant, but it's relevant, but it's like a little bit of a segue. Um, but I was listening to Juno Dawson. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Juno Dawson, she's a young adult author and she wrote uh, Clean and Meat Market and Wonderland. And they're all really great. 100% you should read them. Um, but I was listening to her at a talk and she said that she like doesn't censor any of her novels, but she had one line um, that one of her protagonists said when she was on like an acid trip. Um, and her author was like, uh, her editor was like, I think we should cut this out because it takes away, like it's going to become a focal point and it's going to take away from the rest of the book. Um, and I think the thing that works with John Green is that, hey, his editor, like books go through so many people mm-hmm. before it gets published. Like, even if John Green like thought it was okay his editor shouldn't have like someone should have stopped it and then my second thing is that's the issue because it becomes a focal point when if it's like there's no message behind it there's no necessary reason for that um you know it's not even like that word is used and then someone calls them out straight away for it um and it just completely overshadows the book in a way that just is not necessary and is also like really degrading I also think, I mean, I don't know what, what slur you mean for, for Juno Dawson, but assuming it's a slur that she maybe has been affected by, I feel like there's a big difference her saying that and using that in her book as, you know, a minority group, as a trans woman, you know, and kind of, it, it, you know, taking control of that narrative herself and presenting it how she experienced it versus John Green using a word that he's never really been affected by yeah. because he feel like, feels like it makes his characters look cool and edgy. Yeah. Um, Juno Dawson actually didn't say what what word oh, it was that, um, but she said that the whole point of like that line was to show that the character had gone too far. And even yeah. then, she I said, think, "We're not going to do it." Yeah, I um, think there's a point in that. I, I I wouldn't hate that as long as it's used as like a teachable moment, especially for young adult fiction where you have such an impressionable audience. I feel like normalizing that language and never coming back to it and never explicitly being like that was too far that was weird that was wrong whereas in paper towns it's literally just like a passing comment and it's kind of totally. said it's like you know poke fun um so speaking of problematic aspects of the fault now stars there's i mean i would say it's the elephant in the room of the entire book um do you want to are we, are we talking about Anne frank <laughs> Yeah, we are Anne Frank. So in the Anne Frank house, they go. So they go to Amsterdam. They're there, and after their author, sorry, I don't know if you can hear the cat scratching at the door. It's quite annoying. Can't hear it. Um, <laughs> basically, this author's <laughs> an arse to them, and so they are in the Anne Frank house afterwards, kind of trying to cheer themselves up by going to the Anne Frank house, which you know, okay. And they basically go and they have their first kiss in the Anne Frank house. Um. Laura's going to read you an excerpt. Uh, Enjoy. Give me one second to find it. But this, like, I was rereading it and I was like, I actually, I have to talk about this because it's going to distress me. 
Um, okay, so they're in there in Frank House. Otto Frank is giving like his, um, well, like he's obviously not talking live. Like the video of Otto Frank is like running in the background and he's speaking about like his daughter and how horrible it was to lose her and everything. And they're just standing there making a joke about like starting like a glorified like um, or Harley Quinn like, you know, vengeance team and like talking about like robots in the world and everything, um, which is like a like I would say inappropriate. Um, but anyway, um, and this is where we start off from. Um, Augustus Waters, I said, looking up at him thinking that you cannot kiss anyone in the Anne Frank house and then thinking that Anne Frank, after all, kissed someone in the Anne Frank house and that she would probably like nothing more than for her home to have become a place where the young and irreparably broken sink into love. I must say, Otto Frank said on the video in his accented English, I was very much surprised by the deep thoughts Anne had. And then we were kissing. My hand let go of the oxygen cart and I reached up for his neck and he pulled me up by my waist onto my tiptoes. As his parted lips met mine, I started to feel breathless in a new and fascinating way. The space around us evaporated, and for a weird moment, I really liked my body. This cancer-ruined thing I'd spent years dragging around suddenly seemed worth the struggle. Both the chest tubes and the PICC lines and the ceaseless bodily betrayal of the tumours. It was quite a different Anne I had known as my daughter. She never really showed this kind of inner feeling, Otto Frank continued. The kiss lasted forever as Otto Frank kept talking from behind me. And my conclusion is, he said, as I had been in very good terms with Anne, that most parents don't really know their children. I pulled away from Augustus and he snuck a peck onto my forehead as I stared down at my Chuck Taylors. And then they started clapping. All the people, all these adults just started clapping and one shouted bravo in a European accent. Augustus, smiling, bowed. Laughing, I curtsied ever so slightly, which was met with another round of applause. I mean, sweet Jesus. I just can't think of anywhere I'd rather rather not kiss someone. Like, I, like when I think of the worst place to possibly have that moment, it's high up on the list. It's high. The only one I can place higher is a concentration camp. Yeah, Auschwitz, genuinely. And like, it's just. Like, I mean, I have. I haven't been to the Anne Frank house, but like when you go to places like that that have so much history and so much tragedy tied in with their history, you barely feel like you can, like, touch anything or say anything. Mm. Like, there is this absolute silence. And, like, the, like, John Green to not only imagine this as, like, a youthful and romantic space is a really insensitive thing. And then not only that, but then to have, like, people applaud like it's a like there's a performance in it well like yeah I just it's like a public event it's not even like they had like a little kiss like it, it was a thing it went on forever while she's still listening to Otto like she's still hearing and like computing everything he's saying that's really weird I don't like it and when she all. justifies it as like oh but Anne would have wanted this I'm like you do not know what Anne Frank yeah, would have wanted exactly and that's I feel point. like the point is we don't know yes completely but it's also you know that house isn't just about Anne Frank it is completely about Anne Frank but also it's so symbolic of all of the people that were killed in World War II and in the Holocaust that it's like you know it's just so insensitive to be like Anne would want it and it's like but like what about you know the people who have come to kind of pay their respects and like the people who are there that have been affected by these like it's just so weird I also the other thing is well is like he's clearly done his research like in the pages before like they list off how many people 
died in the Holocaust and that there's plaques on the walls and you can read about it and you could read on Otto Frank's letters. And so, like, John Green's clearly either been there or, like, strongly researched it. Yeah. I don't know how you can get that deep into researching the Holocaust without having, like, just the weight of it hit home. Mm-hmm. I think it also goes back to, like, his kind of arrogance as an author, that he yeah. thinks that his characters of Hazel Grace and Augustus Waters, who are not real people, they are fictional characters, kind of have this parallel and measure up to Anne Frank, who was a real person, who was symbolic of so, so many children that were murdered. I feel like it's, it's just really, like, it's like, look what, like, they're basically the same thing. And it's that they're not, though. Like, one is a hell of a lot sadder than the other. One is a hell of a lot more... Yeah meaningful and like real to a lot of people that are still alive today and it's like it's it's such an insensitive um like metaphor to 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 make like I'm not about like comparing traumas because like Mm -hmm. you know everyone's got we've all got um, things like yeah but like I mean that one's just not a competition even like it just isn't and I think that takes us back to this idea of like John Green perhaps getting too caught up in like the artistry and like the metaphors mm-hmm. and the symbolism which really led us into this very odd age of tumblr where we were romanticizing cancer and like yeah. terminal illnesses and like i just think i don't know i i'm not sure where i stand on all that but i don't feel good about it i feel like it was very um i don't i don't think we can blame john green fully for it because i feel like he wrote this book and he meant it to be very sad and tragic. And it is. It's sad and it's tragic. But I don't think he accounted for the fact that a lot of girls would identify with this idea of being like wise and kind of respected and their voice kind of being being heard in that way. And it's, you know, Hazel Grace is listened to and respected by Augustus and by everyone in the book because of all the trauma she's been through and because of how tragic her situation is. And I feel like a lot of young girls read that and went, I want that. And so they kind of coupled that with with cancer. And it was such a weird jump to make and worrying in a lot of cases when you read some of the stuff that was posted in the day. Yeah. And I think it also, like, when you say that, I think it also equated this idea of being a teenage girl and all, like, the hardships that come with that. And it said something along the lines of, like, it's like having a hidden cancer. It's that, yeah, like, it's yeah. that suffering, it's that hidden suffering, it's that separation from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it is, like you said, such a jump to make. Like, I'm not saying teenage girls didn't have it hard. I remember I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> like, like, it's just not the same thing. And I think, it, I think there's, well, like, it's like they, they want to be able to give it a name. They want to be able to give that suffering a name and a place and a diagnosis. And, and there you go, like, this is what I have. And so they, you know, they saw that in that character and went, oh, I feel what she's feeling. So, you know, I'll, I'll jump to that. And it was just, oh, I don't know. It's like, you don't have emotional cancer. There's, there's a big difference. They're very different things. <laughs> and, then it, and then it all leads in with Augustus Waters and this idea of wanting to be loved in the midst of being a teenage brat, really. Definitely. Um, which, oh. And, like, at the time, I thought Augustus Waters was just this gorgeous boy that I was just like, oh, my God, like, when will I meet someone like that? Um, and now I'm like, oh, God. Like, I don't know. I still have an attachment to him as, like, my younger self. But, like, if he came up on my Tinder, no. Left. <laughs> yeah, left. 
I just feel like there's something I mean I, I don't know if it's really in Augustus Walters himself but like the image of of the guy who like smokes as a metaphor and like is really kind of well read but likes to tell you about it and like oh no no thank you no thank you it's it's so red flaggy to me and I don't know if that's just men ruining things (laughs) or if it's actually like a worrying personality trait (laughs) the whole yeah the whole well he was like oh I actually like I swear I used to know a guy who was like exactly like Augustus Waters in that like self-aggrandizing like um energy where it's just like like yeah he like made up these metaphors and he attached so much meaning to them and then he had to like explain it to hazel grace like it's a metaphor hazel grace how do you not get that catch up but i'm 95 percent sure that's not a metaphor like symbolism yeah like i don't think Mm -hmm. the whole killing thing between your teeth was an actual technical metaphor yeah that's a good point it's really because yeah yeah no i think that's such a symbol It's just not a because there's no. Then he's not equating it with anything. Yeah, it's not. It's no. It isn't anything. He's just. Yeah. Yeah, it just really upset oh, me. Oh, we've got to write some emails. God. Yeah, we do. We got. We got to do some educating here. Um. <laughs> anyway, we're just about to finish. We've got five minutes left. Um, and Laura, I want to ask you, do you pass it on? Um, I. I'm very torn. I think I would pass on The Fault in Our Stars. Again, in, I, if, if I felt like whoever I was passing on to was kind of critical enough to maybe draw out some of the things that we've said. But overall, I feel like it's kind of inoffensive and nicely written. And I think when you're a teenager as well, it's a really, really good read. Um, all of John Green stuff? Probably not. Probably just this one. What about you? Um... I think the same. I think I probably wouldn't pass on all of John Green's things. I think, I think probably Will Grayson, Will Grayson, and the Fault in Our Stars were like. Be fair, I didn't read that. I, it was really good. It was well done. Um, it was also just a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the same time, like, it was just a really good book, and I think it kind of continued my love for reading, and it immersed me in this world. Um, and so I think I would pass it on to like the next generation. I think. As much as, like, there's aspects of it that, like, fed things that weren't great, um, I think I, like, personally didn't take much of that on when I was younger. Like, I didn't really feed into the whole, um, like, the tumblerization of cancer and everything. Um, So I think as long as you've got, like, someone who's a conscious reader and who can steer clear of that, I think you're absolutely um, fine to pass it on because it it was a really pivotal book for me. Oh, Um, me too. I really enjoyed it. And... I think, I, don't know, I think there's something to be said about the culture being part of the issues with it. That you know, if you aren't on Tumblr at that particular time with these particular issues, it, the book in itself isn't that offensive. I feel like it was kind of carried by by a culture that I don't know wasn't doing too great. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and I think I mean maybe it's overly hopeful of me, but I also hope that that culture isn't there anymore. Like mm-hmm. I like, I would like to think that if like John Green released this book now. Um, that culture wouldn't be there to feed these ideas that he like kind of unknowingly presented. Although maybe he did know it, I'm not sure. Um, well, yeah, he's a clever guy. To be fair, I wouldn't put it past him. But I also feel like he maybe wouldn't have leaned into the Anne Frank thing so much if he knew that where it was going to go. 
Okay. Yeah, sometimes ego can just be such a blinder. Oh, definitely. That is all we've got time for today. Lovely chats. I really enjoyed this one, actually. Yeah. Um, um, just a reminder that we're on socials, um, Instagram, TikTok. A Spotify link will be put up at some point in the week. Um, so if, yeah. you, if you didn't listen to our last week's episode, you can go and do that. That was on, what did we talk about? Divergent. Thank you. That was on Divergent. Um, and, yeah, and then we're going to play you out. Yeah, enjoy Not About Angels. What a classic. You've been listening to as an adult, Laura and Laura. Bye. We know full well there's just time. So is it wrong to dance this line? If your heart was full of love, could you give it up? Oh